Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good afternoon. He returns. I am back on British shores, yes, and uh, it's been a while since we've recorded, actually, hasn't it? It has indeed. Good holiday? Wonderful, thank you, yeah. I've uh, I've rested, and I've, I've recharged, and I'm ready to hit the pod like never before, and uh, hopefully I'll be in, in sort of peak fitness when it comes to the live event next Friday. Yes, indeed. Well, more on that later. But for now, I mean, not a lot has happened while you've been away, I'll be honest. But uh, there's been some international football that I think we have to cover. And I think it's only right that we get stuck into England. We analysed the two performances against Spain and Switzerland. One of them a fairly competitive game, the other not so competitive. But let's start with the competitive one first. The Nations League began. We will talk a little bit more about that later. We won't get into the format because no one knows what's going on. We just know we need to win. But we didn't win. We lost 2-1 at Wembley against Spain. We did. And um, it was a bit of a game of two halves, this one, as cliched as that sounds. I think that England made a very good start and um, looked bright early on, created chances. And it looked quite a lot like the England that we were used to seeing in the uh, in the World Cup. And you sort of thought, actually, this new era is going to continue throughout these games domestically. And, um, and then Spain remembered how to play again and they remembered that actually if they pass the ball quickly then they will be able to beat the majority of sides in Europe and they turned the game on its head and from an England point of view it almost felt like that's what we were expecting in the World Cup Um, which is disappointing because we competed throughout and obviously there was a bit of drama later on and and it's one of those games where if it was an international friendly you wouldn't really care but because the Nations League is what it is you sort of left at the end thinking, well, actually, I wish we'd, I wish we'd won that one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the performance was similar at times to the World Cup. You know, we can't deny the fact that we got a few strokes of luck along the way um, in the World Cup. And I think some of the play was fantastic. There was a lot of sloppy defending, for instance, that we still need to eradicate out of our game. And I think that comes up with experience, to be honest with you. But I think if we look at the highlights in particular, um, Marcus Rashford, who we'll talk about over both games, uh, great goal for him. And, and what a lovely ball from Luke Shaw is back involved. It was, and it's something that we've seen Luke Shaw do, certainly early on in his career. And he had the confidence and he also had a lot of space to exploit for the first goal, which allowed him to pick the run of Marcus Rashford. And, and I want to rewind back a little bit because I think that Luke Shaw's defensive header in the build-up to that goal yes. was probably the the most important part because it allowed England to move the ball quickly from the right-back area right into the to the left-wing area and it kind of caught Spain on the hop a little bit and, and I'm not convinced that either Danny Rose or Ryan Bertrand have that... <laughs> it's not the pace because they both have pace but I'm not sure that they both would have gone hairing up the field as quickly as Luke Shaw did and, and he maybe has a little bit more vision and stamina to be able to get into those positions and the ball that he picked out was brilliant and I, at that point I was really really pleased for him I thought that his comeback from from the international wilderness was was something that he would be able to hang his hat on and it would be the first of many games for England but obviously he, he then went off with, with a, a serious looking concussion it, it's clear now that he's going to be alright but I think that on the whole in a t- in an attacking sense, he was very good in that game. Unfortunately, he came unstuck for the uh, for the equaliser, didn't he? He did indeed, and you know I think there were obviously that came a long way away from the actual goal itself. So there was a lot more that we could have done after that, and 
I think if you look at it as a whole, it was a sloppy goal to concede. Both really were sloppy goals, and they should have been defended a lot more simply. And I don't know whether that's uh, Joe Gomez coming in there as a as a new member of that back three, whether it's just um, a little bit of a, a lack of cohesion following the tournament. And and again, as I say, whether it's just something we kind of got away with over the summer. But I think you have to also look at Spain. They exploited our weaknesses, and you have to give them credit. And um, you know, we've seen a revival in Spain that w- that we may see over the next two four six eight years as well they've got a lot of young players but i think going back to england attacking wise we made we created a lot of chances that could have made the game completely different you know rashford could have had two three goals and obviously welbeck's goal um i'd, I'd like to get your opinion on it I, I don't think it should have been disallowed but there's too much protection for keepers anyway so it doesn't surprise me at all. I think I think it was given for the foul in the build up. I don't think it was given for the foul initially. Um when when Welbeck obviously just stood there and David De Gea dropped the ball onto his head. I think it was probably for the push in the build up and that's why there was a breakdown in communication. The thing that really narks me about the goal is that if you're gonna have these extra officials at an international level who are stood behind the goal, then it shouldn't be a decision for the referee to make because the referee's view of the incident wasn't good enough the official behind the goal had a perfect view and he initially seemed to allow the goal um whether that was then a breakdown in communication between him and the referee i'm not sure but i agree with you that the referees do give goalkeepers too much protection and i think if that had been the semi-final of a world cup then you would be absolutely up in arms about it the fact that it's happened in the nation's league just brings up the debate about var again yeah, and then moving on to, to this week, the second game, uh, England won Switzerland nil, and it was very much the reserves on show, many making their first starts for club or country this season, and it, it was fair to say it was a very poor first half from an England perspective, it's probably as bad as we've played under Gareth Southgate from memory, um, some very risky football at the back, again I don't know whether that's kind of match fitness and sharpness, or whether it's those players don't necessarily suit that particular style of football. Jack Butland looked uncomfortable, and I think we've said at times last season when he was in the Premier League that his distribution is one of his weaker points. And I think overall it, it, it just didn't look great at all. And then obviously the second half, um, things changed. And I think that was uh, as a result of words that were said at half-time by the players and also the manager. Yeah, I think that you've got to look at the way that Gareth Southgate set the team up and, and it was almost like he was trying to replicate the second 11 to play in the same way as the first 11 but without the quality of player and the the difficulty that you've got is if those players don't have minutes under under their belt playing that formation in competitive matches then when it comes to a friendly like this against Switzerland they are going to struggle and um, you can do as much as you want on the training pitch but ultimately it doesn't recreate that atmosphere of a of a competitive fixture and I think that there were certain performers who struggled I think that, that a couple of people probably did better than others I was a little surprised actually to see Butland given the start I would have thought that if Gareth Southgate's going to bring somebody like Alex McCarthy into the squad then it's a perfect opportunity to give him a game and I'm not just saying that with my Southampton hat on I just think Butland's been in the squads before he's played international fixtures before and it was a perfect opportunity in a friendly to give somebody who's not played at that level a game and see what he's all about because the likelihood is when the likes of um, Tom Tom Heaton and, and, and Nick Pope are fit then it will be a, a, a tussle for that third Joe spot Hart? I don't think Joe Hart's getting anywhere <laughs> near the England squad especially if they continue to play the formation and, and, and play it out from the back but it's just it's one of those where as an England fan you go from a resort against Spain where you play relatively well at, at, in parts and, and come away with nothing and then 
you almost have a sour taste in your mouth from an international win in a friendly against Switzerland. So it's a difficult one from an England point of view because you don't really know what you want when the when when the Nations League's around. At least with qualifying, you sort of knew where you stood. Yeah, you, yeah. you knew where you were in the Absolutely. league and that sort of thing. But um, I don't necessarily think it was a bad exercise. I just don't think that it was executed the way that it could have been. And you know, another goal for Marcus Rashford. Uh, another solid finish and another great ball as well this time from Carl Walker and I think we talk about Marcus Rashford in particular there's a few other players in similar situations you know it's great to see him start a couple of games he's played more central and he's obviously took that responsibility on and as we've said he's he's certainly made the the most of the chances getting in in there originally but just couldn't find the the finishing touch particularly in the first game of the couple but there's a, a lot of talk over the last week or so about what he needs to do now and we we only spoke about it I think the last time we recorded when he'd obviously been sent off for Manchester United and we're, we're looking at where he needs to go with that now and and what he needs to do because he's he's clearly got the ability uh, Gareth Southgate obviously thinks very very highly of him uh, and rightly so as well but he needs to push on now and I th- for me personally he has to do that by playing regular football and I'm just not sure he's going to get that, certainly behind Romelu Lukaku. Yes, there's a lot of games for Manchester United, but there's Lukaku there and there's also Mourinho as well. You could argue is holding him back. And you look at somebody like Theo Walcott, who had similar sort of praise at a different time. Obviously, it was probably 10, 15 years ago when Walcott was breaking into the England team, but people had similar hopes for him as they do for Rashford. And the problem that he had at Arsenal was he never really had one position nailed down. He went from being a right winger to being a number 10 to playing as a central striker. And Rashford needs to probably decide early on in, on in his career where he's going to play because the unknown and the uncertainty of having to fill in different positions won't allow any manager to get the most out of him. So I agree with you. I think that he does need to be playing regularly. I think it would be a great shame if he left Manchester United because they have this academy who churn out decent players and yes, it's probably gone a little bit stale since the 90s where all of those players seem to come through. But you look at somebody like Danny Welbeck as well who came through at Manchester United who people looked at as a future number nine for that football club and it it happened that he had to leave in the end because he wasn't getting an opportunity because they were signing too many players in his position. And this is the catch-22 of all of these teams. If you're going to have great academies, what's the point in spending all this money? And the reason is that they tend to want immediate success and, yep. and young players don't always bring that. I would like to see Marcus Rashford being given a chance at Manchester United, but I don't think it will happen in all the time that Mourinho is there because we all know that that's not what he's famed for. He's famed for playing players who are ready to win at that point rather than players who've got potential like somebody in Alex Ferguson's guys for example and, and another one similar Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, I personally thought he had a good game on, on Tuesday um, uh, uh, he came in for a little bit of criticism not doing enough I think sometimes but he's a different type of midfielder and I just asked the question what does he have to do now you, know, you would say he has to move away from Chelsea Again, go and play football. He got picked one at Crystal Palace playing regular football. He's clearly rated by Southgate. Will make the squads almost regardless. And I think if I look at my own opinion, obviously it's very, very different to that of a Premier League footballer. But if it's me, and I would rather play for England than be in the Champions League on the bench at the top of the league on the bench, getting a run out between you know four and eight cup games a year, and. Ultimately, you'll probably get paid the same anywhere else you go as well. So regular football, a chance to impress the international manager. You you pays the same at, at the very least, and you just have that ambition that you can go somewhere else and prove that actually you should be playing for the likes of Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City. 
get yourself back in there. I think the, the, the difficulty when a new manager comes in is that you think that you've got an opportunity to impress them and when Maurizio Sarri went in there in the summer it may well have been communicated to Ruben Loftus-Cheek that he would have the opportunity um, alongside somebody like Ross Barkley to try and break into the team and it's interesting to see that someone like Barkley has been given the opportunity by Sarri earlier on in the season when if you looked at the end of last season like you say when he was at Palace you would expect Loftus-Cheek to have been miles ahead of him um, for, for a relatively similar position. I think that he needs to go but obviously it's now too late and and you wonder whether Gareth Southgate's actually in the ears of these players sort of saying to them look lads unless you're going out and playing week in week out you are going to struggle to get not only in the side but in the squads themselves I think that picking players who do sit on the bench for the big four sends out the wrong message because it means that players will quite comfortably sit there and and, and almost wait their, their turn you look at the likes of Phil Foden you look at Jordan Sancho players who are the next um, crop for England and, and you just hope that I mean you look at those two Sancho's obviously gone to Germany and you hope that he's going to get a place in mer- on merit and you wonder whether Phil Foden's going to miss out because of the fact that he's going to be behind so many other players and it's impossible to know because you don't have a crystal ball but you would think that the only way to play regularly for England would be to be playing club football yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot's been said about, and even from Southgate, they're kind of missing a midfielder of a certain guise. And um, I think many people have interpreted that in different ways as well. He said that someone like Paul Gascoigne, who is kind of mercurial, off the cuff, and um, is driving at teams. Whereas for me, I'm not necessarily sure that's exactly what we need. Um, I really like the idea of a, of a Dembele type, a big, strong um, player who covers ground and controls the tempo a little bit more and I think that's something we lack we have players that can dribble we have players that can run at people and one of the things for me that I'm just not sure about and I think I mentioned it during the World Cup is that I'm not sure about Lingard and Ali playing together um, particularly if you factor in someone like Sterling I, the three of them playing together for me doesn't necessarily work you're going to get overrun in the midfield at some point and y- again you can't control that tempo of play you're almost looking to play on the counter attack all the time and we're looking to play a more evolved style with the ball at our feet and eventually you're just going to dribble into brick walls if you keep playing like that. And I think it's the inconsistency for those three players. You never see two of the three have a good game at the same time. It's always one of the three will have a good game and the other two tend to go missing and you can't achieve anything at international level with players who do that. I think we were quite fortunate at times in the World Cup but you you almost make your own luck as it it is when you have a, a tournament format with three weeks and those players sort of came in and out of form you could argue and and I agree with you I think if we had a big imposing midfielder somebody who get get maybe somebody like um, Nathaniel Chalabar at, yeah. at, at Watford somebody who we haven't really seen at full international level but did very well for the under 21s and um, obviously he won't be picked until he's completely back fit but the I think the difficulty that we have with the Nations League now is that the fact that you have friendlies alongside competitive matches rather than maybe two friendlies in a in an international period it gives you less of an opportunity to try out players because you have to go with a nucleus of a squad you think are going to win and 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 that's the danger we can't breed these players at international level until we're absolutely sure that they're they're going to go in and compete and 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 that could work against Southgate and England in future but I think the future is bright and I think we have to remember that we had a very good World Cup we've got a very good youth setups and, and we've got good players coming through but they have to be 
given a chance at club level, like we say, to flourish at international level. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, if you look at the squad and togetherness, I think, as, as we said before, there was harsh words said against Switzerland at half-time. And it's fantastic to know that the players have, have kind of built that trust with each other now. And they're playing almost as if they're at the club side. They have that relationship where they can be honest and open. And we've obviously heard so much over the last few years about all the divisions in the squads over the previous years that potentially that isn't the case anymore so it's something that Southgate's obviously built on he will have seen it firsthand when he was playing um, and, and alongside that as well he's persistent with the style of play that he wants as well so it all adds up to consistency um, and, and just whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch and I think both of those things are are instrumental in having a successful team you only have to look at that successful Spain side to see that even the two biggest clubs in the country uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona arguably the world uh, players who would kick shit out of each other every week on the pitch <laughs> would ultimately work together to strive for the same goal at an international level yeah you're right and I think we need to look at the the call-ups for that Switzerland game because obviously we we suffered a couple of injuries in the Spain match and um Damari Gray and Ben Chilwell were called up from the under-21s and there's a little bit of controversy here because obviously the game was played at Leicester and they're both Leicester players and I want to get your opinion on it whether you think it was just sort of coincidence or whether you think that they were there on merit or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think it's a bit of both and um, it obviously does make life a lot easier uh, due to the location but equally it's not a million miles away it's not as though it's a, a friendly in Switzerland for instance but I would say they are two players that are probably on the fringes on the periphery anyway so it wasn't a huge shock um, but equally th there's probably other players you know you mentioned Sancho and Foden and someone like Ryan Sessegnon who equally deserve their opportunities and whether they're in the uh, the underage groups and, and playing I don't understand why we couldn't just pick them out and and put them into the squad. We've done that in the past before. and um, I think for me as well, an interesting thing is why do we not have another two or three players in the squad, or not actually registered, but just training, just so you can see them, just so they're starting to integrate. And I, I wonder why that sort of thing doesn't happen because realistically, at the kind of under 21, under 20, under 18, whatever it is, that level generally will provide success even if you take one or two of those players out we've seen players miss tournaments due to be being with their clubs for pre-season for instance why not just bring them up into the squad see what they're like even if it's just two or three different ones every time and just the future is bright and it's great and we've done very well and been very successful with the underage teams but we've almost brought Damari Gray and Ben Chilwell in because they live down the road as opposed to looking to the future are either of those two going to be in are either of them going to be in consistently you look at Chilwell he's probably about the fifth choice left back left wing back so from that perspective that's possibly the only time he's ever going to play for England yeah you're right we need to move on and talk about our captain Harry Kane because He's getting a bit of criticism at the minute and he's obviously started the Premier League season well. He's scored two goals in four games, which if he does that over the course of the season, then he'll get another 20 goals. And I think he'd be relatively happy with that, given the lack of break that he had in the summer and that sort of thing. Do you think it's expectation that's that's increased following the World Cup? Or do you think it is just a case of people being too hypercritical, given the fact that yeah, he hasn't scored in a couple of games, but that doesn't mean that he's suddenly a bad player overnight. It's almost the argument we've had with Richarlison. You know, what's he going to look like at the end of the season? 
Harry Kane, you have to look at it from that perspective. At the end of the season, he's going to have scored at least 20 goals, probably nearer to 30 goals. He will have got Spurs in and around the Champions League places, possibly winning them a trophy. But football is all about the here and now, and unfortunately, it gives anyone the opportunity to jump on someone's back if they're not doing absolutely everything right. And I think the difficulty with Harry Kane is that he, you know, he will be tired. He's a, a very physical player. He's picked up at least an injury every season. Uh, he's not long had a kid as well, and I would imagine that sort of thing plays a bit of a difference with your physical state. But ultimately, in these games, he may not be scoring as many goals as he ordinarily would be later on in the season, but he's still getting the positions, and sometimes it just doesn't necessarily go your way. Uh, sometimes he potentially comes a little bit deep and changes the way that he plays as well, and you know that does come with the expectation because the expectation is he's going to be on the last man scoring goals and if he's been asked to do a different job which nobody said he has or he hasn't then the expectations outweigh in the fact that he's doing something completely different to what he should be yeah yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's a fair point and I think that we just have to sort of rewind a couple of months and remember how many of those newspapers had him on both front and back pages as the future sort of Sir Harry after what his, his exploits were in the World Cup and the fact that you don't score in a Nations League game and then don't start the next friendly it really isn't the end of the world and this is where the media need to remember that they can play a huge part in in England's success and, and by almost stepping back a little bit it will give somebody a little bit more confidence that, that the goals will come back but um, final point before we go to a break we need to talk about whether it was a success taking the England team away from Wembley obviously it worked well for them in the in the run up to the World Cup the game at Ellen Road was something that I think everybody would agree was, was, was successful there was a few empty seats at the King Power but there, there was a good atmosphere and I think that's that's important to to show this England team off to to people who maybe aren't able to get to London and aren't able to get to Wembley. I think you're completely right. I, I'm a huge fan of it, and I think whatever happens with Wembley, there's obviously it, it's kind of up in the air as we go forward. But I think the opportunity for everybody to go and watch the team, and as you say, without the travel, and is is something. It it's, it should be seen as a positive. Other nations do it, and. Um, the quality of the facilities, the pitches, whatever it's going to be, in all of the grounds we go and play at will be as good as Wembley, more or less. So it shouldn't detract from the preparation and the way that we play. And I think, as you say, the atmosphere was very good for a Tuesday night friendly against Switzerland. And it will only help to keep the kind of good vibes up around the team and the squad. I think the one thing that the FA do need to be careful with with is there were empty seats there and there was a bit of an investigation into this and I heard on, on the radio they were saying that the reason that there was a, probably a 1,000 or 1,500 empty seats were because these seats were priced at £55 as corporate seats yeah. for um, and, and sold through the FA which it's just not the right way of doing it. If you're going to take England on the road it's got to be inclusive. I know that there's going to be a level of corporate um, attendance but 1500 tickets is far too many to be putting in at that price you want to be encouraging the next generation of England fans to attend and, and, and pricing it just, correctly just change them the week before if they're not sold just think right we might as well get another 1500 people in at 20 quid fill the seats and yeah there may be the, the nicer seats as, as you as you will but just just get the ground full I've, I've never understood football um, uh, clubs the way that they do that they're almost out pricing people they'll double the attendance at times if they just put the price down and it all comes out the same. That's a whole different argument, I, I appreciate that, but um, playing at Wembley, I think it's um, it, it's great for us to have that home ground, but equally I think 
particularly for the qualifiers for instance and the friendlies uh, to travel around is something a little bit different and I think it will as I say spread the good energy throughout the, the squad absolutely right well that's it for our England analysis but join us after this break where we will round up the rest of the UEFA Nations League ladies and gentlemen England will be playing four four fucking two Back to the podcast, and we are rounding up the rest of the UEFA Nations League. And in England's group, Spain hosted Croatia, and it was fairly safe to say it was a rout. They beat the World Cup finalists 6-0, uh, with Marcus Asensio, the star of the show. And uh, you know him, him in particular should get much more of an opportunity to shine at Real Madrid without Ronaldo there. And Gareth Bale as well, who himself was firing on all cylinders as his Wales side thrashed Republic of Ireland 4-1. That's not the biggest talking point from Republic of Ireland, is it? No, I think we need to talk about Roy Keane. Yes, I think we do, because he has had a few people up in arms this week. It's fair to say that there's uh, some speculation, let's say. I I don't think we can confirm or deny anything, but uh, some treatment of a few players. um, Some senior with uh, Jonathan Walters. Um, and also Harry Arter as well mentioned and um, it's a difficult one, we know what Roy Keane's like uh, he's he's very outspoken, uh, some would say he's quite aggressive um, and some would say he's very patriotic as well and I wonder if he treats all of the Irish players and I say Irish in uh, uh, however tone you want to perceive that but um, there are some that uh, probably haven't been to Ireland too many times other than for a stag do in Dublin, let's say. Yes, you're right. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there is a uh, a, a Twitter page going around and it's selfies with Roy Keane. It's right. people who've met Roy Keane and the look of disdain on his face <laughs> in every single picture is glorious. There's people there with big grins and Roy Keane just looks like he could not want to be anywhere else. It's uh, It's pretty impressive. Yes, but I would suspect he'll probably remain in that role. Uh, I think he's probably um, being paid a handsome amount, and uh, I'm not sure Ireland are ones for pulling the trigger too quickly. Um, But let's move away from them and and talk about a little bit more controversy, because um, also in that group was Denmark, who just about cobbled themselves together um, after playing uh, effectively pub team players. And they're friendly the week before against Slovakia, where they went down 3-0. And this was obviously due to some contractual uh, negotiations not going well and uh, all of the players going on strike and, and the management team. Yeah, it's a weird one and I think that you kind of have to give credit to those players who did step in at the last minute because to only lose 3-0 against a team containing the likes of Marek Hamzik is definitely not a bad thing. Um, they did alright in the second game though, didn't they? The competitive fixture, they uh, managed to, to iron things out and came back and, and got the win 2-1 over Wales. Yeah, and then uh, the world champions, France, uh, they played their part in a very dull nil-nil with Germany, but they followed it up with a return home to Paris to, to, to celebrate in style with a 2-1 win over the Netherlands and it's fair to say it, it was a party atmosphere there, you know, they were showing off the trophy and everyone was involved and imagine if we'd won the World Cup I genuinely think I'd still be out now what, I think I'd still be going. Still from the yeah, tournament? Yeah, I wouldn't or... have been home, I wouldn't have got changed, I wouldn't have been to work. I'd just be out boozing, having a lovely old time. I think you'd be dead, mate, that's yeah. where you'd be. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed watching the N'Golo Kante song that the that the French were singing yeah. about him, and uh, you can you can see how he's really shy and doesn't necessarily want those plaudits, but when the whole stadium started singing, it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those sort of spine-tingling moments, and if only we could have sang the same about Harry Maguire. Absolutely, and, and speaking of Netherlands, uh, I don't know if you saw Wesley Snyder's last game for them. 
the weirdest <coughs> sort of send off to an international career I think you are ever likely to see. So, so let's paint the paint the picture. A one all friendly draw with Peru. He he sat with his family on a sofa in a, <laughs> a, a, a makeshift living room on the pitch in the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. Just absolute madness. We will tweet this picture out, won't we? Because yes. you need to see it. It's um it looks like his family have been visited by like a glossy magazine <laughs> who are just doing a little feature on the fact that he's retiring from international duty but it's in front of 50,000 people and it's at the end of a game and it's it's really strange I, I saw the photo a few times before I looked at the story I just it, nothing really clicked and then when I read a couple more headlines I was just thinking what on earth is going on I just don't understand but yeah it, it's brilliant we'll, we'll, we'll send it out if you've not seen it but I think overall um, the Nations League has, has appeared to be somewhat of a success I would say um, it's meant the games have, have had a competitive edge and as we've said before if you ignore the complications of the format there are genuine opportunities for, for particularly the smaller nations to qualify for the European Championships and um, you know the sceptic in me would say that it's potentially been made to um, you know, prevent the likes of the Netherlands and Italy who have missed out on tournaments in recent years to give them a second chance if you will and um, it would be interesting to see whether any of those big nations still miss out with this second opportunity to qualify. Yeah I still don't really know what's going on with it I'm hoping that my that my uh, ideas of, of, of what's happening will become clearer as the, uh, as the Nation League continues but it's great to to watch competitive international against Spain at Wembley you're generally not going to see that until tw- until you get to the last stage of a tournament so that can only be a good thing it it can only help the players who are playing in these games when they get to the tournaments themselves so yeah I'm all for it and as as well as this international football break um that we've had there's there's been a lot of time I've consumed a lot of media I've consumed a lot of of, of TV I've been reading a lot and uh, you know, there's a couple of things that I think we should probably talk about and address because they're things that are in the media everyone else is talking about and um, I, I think we have the opportunity in our position as podcast hosts to, to have these conversations and I, I want to get some opinions from you because I've been having my thoughts provoked somewhat and that's, that's rare for me, I don't usually do this much thinking I should go on holiday less mate yeah, this, exactly. is, this is what I've I'm going to come back very to bored. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean I've been reading a few of the Players' Tribune articles we've, we've spoke about them in the past, the likes of Lukaku, Sterling, Danny Alves and the, more interestingly I've been reading some of the comments that come with them from football fans I guess you yeah. could call them and it's a difficult one because the general response is always poor footballers, all the money, great job etc, which, which I get to a certain extent, you know, they are paid a, a handsome sum and um, there is a lot of pressure on them and I think that's overlooked sometimes they're in the spotlight, they're role models and I think the the crucial thing is the unfair amount of criticism that they receive. You look at particularly Raheem Sterling is a, a, a key example for all of this. The treatment that he received over the summer and over the past five, six years since he's been a professional footballer has been uh, appalling at times and, and really, really unnecessary and needless. And it's, it's a tough one because it's almost cyclical because the players more in the spotlight with more pressure attract the sponsors and the attention get more money but equally there's more criticism coming their way and they're stuck in a rock and a hard place and I just want to get your thoughts on how how football is approached by fans and potentially not fans as well. well I think the media has a lot to answer for and, and not necessarily the the I'm not talking about maybe the likes of a football podcast for example I'm talking more about the tabloid newspapers who write sensationalist stories to try and sell newspapers which often aren't true and and actually the 
amount of legal fee that they agree out of court with somebody for misrepresentation or will be a lot less than the money that they will have got from the sales of the papers so for them it doesn't matter if they basically drag somebody's name through the mud and 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 it's a very unfortunate position i think that we have to remember that footballers don't make the rules when it comes to wages they don't i mean it's not their fault that they're paid this money yeah, i think absolutely. that the, the agents have to take a huge amount of the blame for where we are at the moment because an agent will always try and drive the price of a contract up he'll always try and drive the, the price of, of a transfer up and that's why people are having to pay more money to get into stadiums and that's why we have to now pay 60 pound for a replica shirt rather than 30 pound yep. and i think that we have to remember that these these players are individuals and and they do get a lot of slack i think that they are incredibly privileged and, and we can't forget that but you have to remember that there are lives outside football and i think part of the reason that the likes of the guys who are on say soccer saturday the likes of paul mercer matt letizia charlie nicholas phil thompson the reason that that people like them so much is because they are just normal guys and i think the difficulty that you now have with with social media and the amount of people that that have an insight into players lives is that by putting any sort of foot wrong it is just blown out of all proportion and and that's where footballers have to be so careful and that's where we maybe don't see the personalities that we have seen in the past so i think that the players tribune articles are brilliant because it gives you an insight into things that you might not hear a huge amount of the only real way to keep abreast with this sort of thing is to follow every single footballer on instagram to follow every single football club on twitter however you want to do it but it's just not really possible so it's a really good source to go and and read a little bit about i suppose the words that they say rather than the words that are interpreted by by both print and and social media absolutely and i think while we're talking about this it's worth mentioning leroy sane um he's slightly differently he received some criticism from a teammate quite openly um from tony cruz his international teammate and um you you wonder how much certain players probably are um perceived even inside the dressing room as well and i think that's really interesting and um, I think again, more and more articles like the player, Players Tribune and, and more long form articles and interviews will form more of a basis around their personalities and the type of person they are, and uh, almost to a certain extent allow you to make make a better judgment as to whether they potentially be your sort of person. For instance, you know, there's there's characters in football that instantly you know you'd like to go for a beer with there's other characters that you don't really know anything about but they could be again someone completely on your wavelength and on your level and as i say i think the the more we see of it and the more that's controlled by the players and the clubs and taken away from the the kind of tabloid media will be a huge benefit to 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 football as a whole i think it will make it a lot more human um and and that kind of human interaction will will occur and I, i think football clubs are becoming a lot more wise to that now as well before they were stopping players from using social media where it's probably encouraged a lot more now as well yeah and we've had a real insight of late into what happened at manchester city last season and the amazon documentary i've the name of it i I forget nothing that's the one and i think you've you've watched some of it recently haven't you i haven't seen it yet but what's it like to get that behind the scenes look at a football club because we've seen (laughs) scenes in the past I, I think there's an infamous neil warnock um yeah. filmed uh team talk at, at half time and and peter reed as well when they went to sunderland back in the 90s but this is completely different because it's it's very well produced and obviously it follows a team who had more success than any other premier league team has had in terms of points and 
and goals in a, in a, in a season. So what's it like? Um, it, I've I've really enjoyed it. I've watched it all now, and um, it's difficult on because you know the story. You know how it starts. You know how it ends. But it, it's fantastic to see that insight, and um, it's fairly safe to say that Pep Guardiola is nothing like Neil Warnock or Peter Reid, um, <laughs> from from what we've seen anyway. But he's uh, he's so intense. Yeah, I, I would. As much as I would love to work with him and for him, I would love to go home at the end of the day as well. It, it looks like such hard work, but he's so demanding, um, but equally so detailed. And you can see exactly why he brings players on and um, allows them to, to, to become better versions of themselves from before just by tweaking some small things. And um, I, I think the other opportunity to see the players just in and around the, the training ground and even outside of, of, of the football environment um, was fantastic and they did show some really really good footage for instance David Silva had a very very tough time of it last year with his uh, with his baby struggling pre- born premature and you know you see a little bit of that you see the support that he gets from the manager and the players and you also see him coming to work to just do his job like everybody else and you, you almost forget like we said before you you forget they have lives outside of football and um, I, I think we'll see more and more of this and whether it's the clubs that, that aim to do it themselves or whether it's someone like Amazon or Netflix that do it um, I, I think would be a, a huge positive and I think football's obviously come a hell of a long way um, than where it was back in the 90s when they were doing those sorts of videos it was very much pick your teacup up and throw it at the person who's not playing the best and um, I mean you, you have to see it to see the way that Pep approaches it, he's, he's very uh, a harsh critic when you make a mistake you know he's, he's more than willing to do that and for instance I think it was if you cashed your mind back to Burnley away when Sterling missed from about two yards yes. very very easy easy chance to miss yeah. and um, he, he took him off and he said you know I took him off because of the mistakes he made he's very very honest and um, and, and Sterling kind of came back at the end of that and after a few days and was absolutely gutted and he felt like he'd let the manager down on the team. They still won. They obviously went on to win the league very, very comfortably. Um, but it was it, it showed a great insight into how the relationships are built around that club, and and I think a lot of that is down to Pep Guardiola and and also the rest of his team as well. He has uh, a, an incredible backroom staff, and he has a lot of people, and there's a lot of experience there. He's kept a lot of people with him the whole way, and um, I I think just seeing the inner workings of a football club makes you appreciate the the amount of hard work that goes into it and also Bernardo Silva's really good at head tennis he's he's head and shoulders <laughs> above everyone else um and and also to to pick up on the last kind of point around that Benjamin Mendy is genuinely like what we see of him on social media all the time he's just bouncing around he's got a smile on his face and there's quite a lot of players in there there's a very good togetherness which you would expect but the personalities of the players are allowed to come out as well yeah, it's um, it's a really good insight, and it's nice to see them without really remembering that the camera's trained on them all the time. I've seen clips here and there, and it, it's different to an Instagram story where they're purposely filming something, knowing that people are going to watch it. Yeah. And it's and it's nice to be able to look at them in this natural environment that that a lot of Premier League clubs would shy away from. And I remember the Liverpool one not too long ago where they followed Brendan Rodgers' team around. Um, I think it was the the season where they came close to winning the title and. It's just really intriguing to see how far football's come on in such a short space of time and the different techniques that different managers use to uh, to approach ways of trying to win the title. It's funny you say that, actually, because in, in stark contrast to the level of detail and planning that Pep and his team did, 
Um, I also saw a video in the week that was uh, Alex Ferguson delivering a team talk to his Manchester United team, looking at the opposition, Liverpool, and it would have probably been about 97-98, so before the treble winning season. And uh, it, it, the, as I say, the planning from Pep was so detailed to the absolute minute detail. Ferguson just said, whoever's closest to McManaman I'm closing down, don't allow him any space, and Paul Ince, if he attempts to bully you, just enjoy it. Don't give him an inch. Um, and, and that was about it. I mean, that was all it showed. But that, from from what I could gather, that was pretty much about the team talk. And uh, it's quite funny because Gary Neville was there at the end. And he, he said it's great that the boss gives you a tactical insight. But he's not really sure any of them were listening. And he was just really honest and open about that and kind of laughed it off. And, um, you know, I wonder if Ferguson ever got that impression from the team. Because you can imagine there'd be... Uh, there'd be a few cups of tea thrown if not well it was that famous one wasn't it Manchester United went through so many um, seasons of beating Tottenham home and away and I yeah, think course, he had yeah. the, the, the famous one which was lads at Spurs and that was sort of all he had to say for his team to go out and play so yeah very interesting and uh, obviously it's yet to be seen whether Pep can get anywhere near Fergie's record but join us after this break while we preview the upcoming Premier League games i got to get my head around this one actually which would you rather fight a one-horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Uh, I'd rather fight a big duck. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast and it's time to get back to Premier League action and it seems like a long time since we were talking about the last round of fixtures. It does indeed, but kicking us off this weekend with an absolute barnstormer Spurs versus Liverpool at Wembley and there could be goals galore if uh, past pictures or anything to go by. No, I've just seen in the running order that it says no Deli Ali or Hugo Lloris. So I'm going to let you talk about this and change my fancy league team. <laughs> yeah, uh, both out with injuries by the look of it. Although Son is back. Um, Liverpool looking to maintain their winning run. Uh, Spurs need to bounce back though after defeating the last game against Watford. So yeah, I think you know it should be entertainment aplenty. Um, and I. I genuinely couldn't call that one either way, I wouldn't have thought. I would say goals will definitely happen in that yeah. game, for sure. And uh, I think that there's probably going to be goals at Vicarage Road as well, where, where Watford host Manchester United, who were a bit like a wounded animal when they went to Burnley in the last game. And obviously, they're going to be without Marcus Rashford, who'll be suspended. Um, and I think there's also been a bit of talk about Watford potentially emulating Leicester it's it's just really getting on my nerves <laughs> I was watching Sky Sports News just before I came out and they showed last season's table compared to the season before Leicester won the league exactly the same points exactly the same wins draws and losses which obviously means they're going to win the league yeah that's just never going to happen again it's really really starting to piss me off if I'm honest. So you want a Manchester United victory this weekend? No, I want Watford to win every time. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's four games into the season. Yes, they've had a very good start. I mean, they had a good start last year and they basically didn't win a game after Christmas. So it, that could easily happen again. And I think to a certain extent, Leicester have ruined football now. There's just no surprises left. And um, the expectation now is that Watford are going to go and win the Premier League because they've had a good start. And it's just, it's absolutely ludicrous. I to be honest with you, I think if I was a Leicester fan, I wouldn't give a shit what people think. <laughs> if, if if my team had won the Premier League, I would dine out on that for the rest of my life, and I'm sure that they will be very happy to Every, everyone else to be dining the football out on it. Though, it's well, just ridiculous. But it gives hope to everybody else, doesn't it? But it's well, very no unlikely. City are going to win the league. Might as well just wrap it up now. Done. Watford will finish eighth. 
end of right anyway <laughs> enough of that um yeah i think you know in theory it should be a very good game and i think it's gonna be very intriguing because you look at manchester united seems like every game at the minute could be Mourinho's last so a result for watford um you know may swing the balance of the other way but equally the a win for Manchester United would be a real statement of intent after that good start from Watford. Absolutely. I think a win for Manchester United would see them in the top four, the most likely position for them at the end of the season by the end of the weekend. So I don't necessarily think there's too much to worry about at this stage. However, like you say, a defeat for Mourinho there and he will be certainly looking over his shoulder. And there should be some entertainment down on South Coast when the aforementioned Leicester City visit Bournemouth and Leicester got Jamie Vardy back which will make a huge huge difference and you'd expect both sides to just go for it and I'll be honest I'm going to predict a standard Bournemouth comeback in this one whether it's a draw or a win I think Leicester will take the lead Bournemouth will spring into life the last 20 minutes could well happen Chelsea have got a 100% record and they will be looking to keep that up at home to Cardiff they will probably smell blood with uh, Eden Hazard starting to find some early season form and Morata's desperately in need of a goal. You would have thought that this would be the perfect opportunity for Sari to say to him, off you go, fill your boots. Yeah, I would imagine so. But Cardiff will make it difficult. But I think, you know, they could potentially look at the way they played against Arsenal in the last game and think that actually the best route into the game is to try and get a few goals and, and have a go at Chelsea. I think Neil Warnock said uh, in his press conference that uh, this isn't the sort of game that's going to define Cardiff's season. So to a certain extent, perhaps that does mean that we'll, we'll go for it. Yeah, I think the danger of going for it against a team like Chelsea is you could quite easily get picked off and lose five or six, which I'm sure Cardiff fans are expecting at some point this season, but ideally you want to be keeping it tight and and trying to sort of build on the couple of clean sheets they've had so far. Speaking of clean sheets, there could potentially be two at Huddersfield where they play Crystal Palace and... Um, I think a lot of this depends on Wilfred Zaha from a Crystal Palace perspective. Um, Huddersfield, though, must be looking for a win. Uh, they must have pinpointed this game as, as one of those that they have to go and get three points from. And if anything, for us, it just gives us an opportunity to keep an eye on their Benteke ticker. Yeah, I think we're going to have to put the Benteke ticker to bed for a little while because I think he picked up an, an ankle injury <laughs> during oh, the week. Right, okay. It's not been confirmed whether he's due to miss this game or not, um, but there's there's talks that he may have picked up an injury injury the, so the stats will not go away though he still won't have scored so many goals in so many games that's absolutely right and the fact that we deal in days as well means that exactly. it's only going to get worse for him exactly but champions manchester city take on championship playoff winners fulham uh, an intriguing tie as we don't fully know how fulham approach these games against the big teams yet particularly away from home at home and as we have seen you know they've they've shown they've play really good football expansive quick on the counter attack and you you wonder whether they approach these sorts of games in the same way yeah i think you look at their performance against tottenham at wembley and they they kind of went for it a little bit and then when they went behind they seemed to shut up shop which you would have thought it would be the other way around and it will be intriguing to see the way that they approach the game against manchester city it wouldn't surprise me to see them go toe for toe you look how great Mitrovic has been so far and, and the fact that he got another couple of goals during the week will, will only breed confidence into that Fulham side and from an attacking point of view they've looked very good going forward but the the difficulty when you go to the Etihad as we all know is trying to keep a clean sheet and uh, I'm going to put my house on it that that will not happen this weekend. I agree I think Aguero is going to be looking for goals and he's declared that he's fitter than ever following his knee surgery at the end of last season so you know a, a non-fit Sergio Aguero is generally up there in the scoring charts so Absolutely. who knows what he's going to do there will also be an intriguing clash up at St James's Park where Arsenal travel to play Newcastle United and uh, 
this is probably a game that Arsenal would traditionally struggle in and yep. the fact that Newcastle are yet to win will Rafa go defensive like he tends to against the bigger sides or will he actually say to his team do you know what go toe to toe with them I still don't think they've got the ability in the squad to go toe to toe with many teams in this league so you suspect he will be uh, making it quite a cagey affair and you know they, they looked impressive against Chelsea at home uh, a few weeks ago and it will probably be a similar game to that. Obviously, they came out of that with nothing to show for it other than a, a fairly good performance. But I think Arsenal, equally, they've kind of got that monkey off their back around away wins already this season. Uh, and they'll be looking to go and, and, and win up there, I suspect. That's right. Also on Sunday, West Ham travel to Goodison Park to take on an Everton side who are yet to be beaten. Contrast to West Ham, who are, of course, pointless. And they will be keeping everything crossed that this is the day that they get that monkey off their back and they uh, start pushing up the league. Absolutely. And then you've also got Wolves who host Burnley and uh, Wolves will be looking to take advantage of Burnley's poor start to the season. Uh, Burnley, though, it'll be an interesting one to see how they come back after this international break. They've had the time to regroup and they'll, they have to look to get back on track now. So that you would think they certainly need to get a point from this, if not three. Absolutely right. And then to close... This wonderful weekend, we've got a Monday night football that everyone can get behind, Yay. everyone can look forward Yay. to. It's Southampton against Brighton. Yay. And Southampton have won 1-14 and 14 at home. Brighton's away form is terrible. Yay. Um, so it's most likely going to be low on goals and low on quality. But I did see they have... Um, on Football Focus, they have a celebrity every week, don't they, predicting the Premier League scores. And they had Marky Mark Wahlberg on right, there okay. this week. And he has gone for a 4-2 win for Southampton, but on the basis that he couldn't pronounce Brighton and Hove Albion. So, uh, How can you not pronounce Brighton? Just watch it and, right, okay. uh, and see the way he does it. I think that as good an actor as he perceives himself to be, pronunciation is not a strong point. Okay, fair enough. Well, we shall see, and we'll be back reviewing that next week. But that is everything until after this break when we get to the quiz of all quizzes. Our quiz! Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast and it's time to go to Correspondence Corner because our leader of the Sweeper podcast Liga Fantasy Premier League, the man with the greatest name on earth has been in touch, hasn't he Mitch? He has indeed, Oystein Bang. We wondered whether this was even a real name, didn't we? But he's confirmed. He came back to us and we were not disappointed. He got in touch and said, yeah, my name is Oystein Bang uh, and he's listening over in Norway, which is fantastic to see, and uh, as well as following Lowly Scheid, I believe it's pronounced, in the third tier of Norwegian football, he also follows Huddersfield Town and has done for nearly 30 years. So I'm not even sure we can give him the Glory Hunter tag there, but uh, yeah, I mean, he started his message by saying it's always a pleasure to visit the UK. When his name comes up, Mr. Bang has arrived. And we will see if Mr. Bang arrives in style this weekend. 
when we look at his fantasy Premier League team. I'm going to have a look at his team before I submit mine this <laughs> evening and see if I can get some tips because I'm still bang in the middle of the table, no pun intended, and you are, uh, I think, still in the Champions League places, given the fact that there's been absolutely no Premier League football since we last spoke about it. Anyway, it's time to tell the listeners how they can get in contact with us in the same way that Oystein did. Absolutely. You can get us on Twitter at The Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search The Sweeper Podcast, email us at thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com. And as ever, while we're on it, get on iTunes and rate, review, subscribe. All those five-star ratings would be much appreciated. And of course, you can get us all over the shop on Spotify, Deezer, Anchor, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, basically everywhere. Just get us everywhere. Spread the news that we are coming in your ears. Absolutely right. And it's time to move on from there to this week's quiz. Mitch, what's the scores at the moment, please? 6-3 to yourself, and I've got this game in hand, so I've got a chance to pull it back. You have indeed. And with it being an international week this week... um, There is an international theme to your questions, okay? but it's pretty much all about the Premier League at the same time. Okay. So, we're going down the Blockbusters route, and uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the show before, the idea is that we come up with an answer or a question that contains a letter and ask the other person what that is. It really is that simple. It is indeed. And we're starting with A, and A is for Aston Villa. Now... I want to know which of these two ex-Villa players has more international goals. This is your 50-50. Gary Cahill and James Milner. Now, they both have identical cap records. They both have 61. But I want to know who scored more goals out of the two of them. I will go with... I can't remember either of them scoring many goals at all. Um, They've not scored many between them. No, I can't imagine they have. I will go for, on the basis that I would think Milner maybe hasn't started as many games, I'm going to go with Cahill. You would be right in going for Gary Cahill. He's scored five. James Milner's only scored one. When did they happen? He's a one in 12 man, Gary Cahill. Um, Anyway, from A to B. Yeah, seamless. Which current Premier League B who has played for two top flight sides, has 30 senior England appearances and has scored once. I assume this is surname. It is indeed. Played for two sides. Current England international. Current England international. And by current England international, I mean he has not retired from international duty. 30 games, one goal. I really don't know. Um... Had a right mind blank. I can't even think of <laughs> any players with B. See, there's a couple that I thought that that you would think of, and then it was up to you to sort of decipher which which was which. Uh, but if you don't know, you don't know. I'm gonna kick myself. I know it, and it's annoying because I can't even give an answer. Um, I will go for. No, I've got. I've literally got nothing. My mind's gone blank. The answer is Leighton Baines. Uh, I wasn't sure whether you were going to go for Ryan Bertrand or Leighton Baines, but yeah, the answer is Leighton Baines. So one out of two. From A and B, we're going to C. C is for Cole, Andy Cole. Now, Andy Cole won 15 caps for England, scoring one goal. Domestically, he played for seven Premier League sides. I'd like you to name five of them. 
Newcastle, Correct. Arsenal, Manchester United, Blackburn. Right. I'm going to rewind on this because Arsenal is incorrect. He played one game for Arsenal, but it wasn't in the Premier League. So right, I'll give okay. you that as a free go. So you've you've already said Newcastle, Blackburn, Blackburn, Manchester, Manchester United. United. So I need two more. In the Premier League? Yeah. Hell. Um, Seven Premier League sides. I need two more. I would never have said there was that many. There were indeed, yeah. He played for quite a few teams in the Premier League. Did uh, did old Andy. Scored quite a few goals as well. Yeah. Oh, I'll guess Fulham. But Fulham is correct. Yeah. So I need one more. And you've only got one guess. So make it a good one. How many one. left? Uh, you've got a choice of three. Because he played for seven. And you've named four so far. Okay. I will have my final guess as... Massive wild card of Charlton Athletic. Charlton Athletic is incorrect, I'm afraid. The answers were Newcastle, Manchester United, Blackburn, Fulham, Manchester City, Portsmouth, and Sunderland. I was going to say Sunderland just because it was near Newcastle, but I don't remember any of that at all. Yep, Andy Cole. Okay. From C, we're going to. D? No, S. S is for Steve Bruce. Now, Steve Bruce was famously. Famously, never capped at international level. He did, however, have a very successful domestic career, picking up seven domestic trophies, excluding Charity Shields, in his time at Manchester United. Of those seven trophies, I want to know how many were Premier League titles. So we're talking purely League Cup, FA Cup and Premier League here. Out of the seven trophies that he won, how many were league titles? I will go with 50-50 in my mind between three and four. And I will go with four. It's three. Ah, bastard. I'm sorry. Your final question is all about W for Wayne Rooney. England's all-time top scorer. I'd like to know how many England goals he scored in his 119 appearances. Is it 53, 63 or 73? 53. Is correct. A strong finish. Needed it. Shocking. Absolutely shocking. Two out of five. So that makes the scores 6-5 overall. Both having played two. Yes, it does. Uh, disappointed with myself. Apologise to all the listeners, all the <laughs> fans. Um, yeah, I, I need to come back stronger because that was piss poor from me. Anyway, that's not the only quiz coming up though, is it? It's not. We've got a week to go. This time next week, we will be down in Leeds City Centre setting up for the event of the year. We are part of the official Freshers Leeds Beckett 2018 programme and we are looking forward to seeing a lot of people down there. We are indeed. So Friday the 21st, I think we've got a couple of tables we can squeeze in. Uh, it is getting full. Uh, we've had a lot of contact. We've got a lot of people travelling from all over the place. Um, and yeah, it should be great. I think we're going to open the doors about 7, maybe there a little bit earlier for a beer. Um, and then 8 o'clock, we're looking to kick off. Um, and I think the preparation's going very well. I'm really excited. The stuff that I've come up with is, is great. The stuff that I've seen you've come up with. 
And uh, yeah, I think it should be a really good night. And as I say, the, the beers will no doubt be flowing. We'll probably have a couple after, so it'd be great to speak to everyone afterwards as well. Absolutely right. So you can contact us in the way that Mitch mentioned earlier on to reserve a table if you need one. There will be a couple of reminders going out on social media this week as well. And if you keep your ears peeled, there may well be some answers to some of those questions in next week's episode. But I think that's it for this week. And uh, I'm looking forward to Premier League football being back. Let's just get back to what we're comfortable with and what we know, the Premier League. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely right. Who have Aston Villa got this weekend? I've got Blackburn away. And what and are your I'm, thoughts? I'm worried. Um, I We really, really need to bounce back after the um, defeat at Sheffield United. So I would really like to say we'll win. But Blackburn have had a decent start to the season. So it could be a tough game. I'll take a draw. I am going to go 2-0 Villa. I'm, I'll tell you I'm that. very, very positive. I don't want to know your thoughts on Southampton because we are crap at nil, home. Nil. We'll speak to you next week. Have a nice weekend. Goodbye. Au revoir. What is your favourite breakfast cereal? Well, back in the day, I used to promote a breakfast cereal called Sporties, so I would have would have said that. Don't really have cereal too much, but if I was going to go for one, I'd go for crunchy nut cornflakes. Have some of that.